This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. As we turn the page to 2023, we decided to look back at some of the biggest education stories of 2022. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, Rose Wong, Julia Silverman, and Sammy Edge. Rose covers early childhood education for the Oregonian and Oregon Live, Julia covers primary education, and Sammy covers higher ed. We talked about the biggest issues and stories from their various beats last year, how the pandemic continues to affect students, what they're interested in covering in 2023, and much more. Here's our conversation. Rose, Julia, and Sammy, thanks so much for taking time to talk today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, Before I hit record, uh, I mentioned this to Sammy and Rose. I'm just, as a reader, as an Oregonian, as a parent, it's so great to be able to have the whole continuum of education covered. We've got early childhood, we've got primary, and we've got higher ed. So um, I'm just super psyched to read your stuff and uh, excited to see what's coming in 2023. So we thought it'd be worth doing an education roundtable to look you know, back at 2022 and ahead to 2023 and kind of the big issues and stories on your various beats. So Rose, let's start with you and the youngest. Um, you have been very busy in recent weeks covering all sorts of important issues in early childhood education. But kind of when you look back, what sticks out to you as the the big stories of the year? For sure. So two big programs I'm tracking are Preschool Promise and Preschool for All. Preschool for All in 2020, uh, Multnomah County voters um, passed a measure to basically get every child into free preschool in the next 10 years. So um, part of my job um, and part of the reason why I was hired is to um, ensure that we meet um, that goal and um, smaller goals uh, that we set to get there. Um, And Preschool Promise is our statewide tuition-free preschool program for children and families who are at or below 200% of the federal poverty line. Um, The Oregon Early Learning Division had promised to fund nearly 6,400 preschool slots this year, Um, but due to understaffing at the state agency and preschools, thousands of kids who are supposed to have started school hadn't. So I have been doing and will continue to do is ensure that the state is keeping families and taxpayers informed about how this program is going and whether we are giving children the high quality early education that this program says it's committed to. Yeah, obviously any new initiative, especially one of that size is going to have some rocky issues, but, um, you know, given the importance to working families across the state or in the metro area, obviously the bar for scrutiny is even higher. For sure. And uh, one story, probably my favorite story that I have done in this beat is about um, Yonkala Preschool. Um, 
It's a thriving preschool in a very small rural town two hours south of Portland. Um, the school takes early education and social-emotional learning really seriously. When I was there, I was really impressed with how the teacher led conversations about conflict resolution, emotional regulation, and grief, things that many adults still struggle with because <laughs> we have yes. um, not had these conversations uh, when we were children. Um, but what's interesting is when the idea of starting a preschool was first pitched at the town in 2012, uh, parents didn't want it. Um, and it took some years for that public opinion to change. So the story is about this journey of going from a town not wanting a public preschool to having this thriving school that is uh, that has expanded from one to two classrooms. Now it's going to have three classrooms in its own building um, next year. It's a great story, and we'll make sure to share it in the episode notes so people missed it uh, can catch up. And let's move on up the uh, age range to Julia. Julia, welcome to the Oregonian, by the way. Um, we are so excited to have you covering this beat. So you're new to the O, but you are not new to covering education. You've already hit the ground running with some really interesting reads, but what jumped out to you in 2022 of kind of the big issues and stories? Well, um, thank you so much for the welcome. Um, the reason that I wanted, um, one of the many reasons maybe that I wanted to take this job aside from the chance to work with such a talented team of colleagues was that I'm really interested in charting the aftermath of the pandemic, its effect on kids, and um, what school districts in the state are doing about it. Um, that does not mean that I'm interested in relitigating in the pages of the Oregonian whether or not schools should have opened sooner. Um, we can't change the past. Um, right. And it's indisputable, no matter what side of that debate that you were on, that um you know, a year and change of um, school buildings being open only on a very limited basis took a real toll on kids. And, you know, that's true if you were a kindergartner or true if you're a high schooler. So um, I really see my focus and goal in the next year as tracking what that has meant for kids. And so far, some of the stories I've focused on have been on strategies that the state could or should be using to help kids, um, whether that's high dose tutoring, um, you know, to catch kids up who are behind, or I'm working on a story right now about math and sort of, you know, like, should you double dose on math? You know, do you, do you need a um, extended summer learning program that's focused solely on math? Academics are one piece of it. And then mm -hmm. another question is, is just about um, behavior stuff and sort of like the culture of school. And um, well, I almost—they're both equally tricky and weighty and complicated. So, oh, and a, a third thing I would say I'm looking forward to in 2023 is following the money. Um, Oregon has, like every other state, Oregon got a giant bucket of money from the federal mm -hmm. government for pandemic relief in schools. Amazingly, the feds only required that 20% of that be used for academic purposes. It doesn't seem like very much to me. No. Um, although um, the state will tell you that um, actually 36% or so of that money so far is being used for academic purposes. Um, still, 
still not so much. So I'm interested in um, in tracking how that money is being spent. And um, more broadly, and maybe beyond the pandemic, I'm interested in the concept of um, Oregon and local control. You know, there's 197 different school districts in Oregon, and each of them is their own little fiefdom. And every school district makes their own decision about how they teach kids to read or, um, you know, what kind of electives are offered. And I wonder about, um, you know, best how, how easy that makes it to put best practices in place. Oh, and I have one more. Um, I'm interested <laughs> okay. in school board elections. Um, I think they're going to be pretty hot come May. Yeah. No, I, as you were talking there, it just kind of brought to mind, obviously, the Newburgh School District um, and the school board was in the news a lot. Um, I think that was this year. I think that, that was, was 2022. Um, sorry, by the time people hear this, it's going to be 2023, but <laughs> time flies. Um, all right, let's move on to the college kids, uh, Sammy, you have a uh, very interesting beats, so much going on there. These are kids who lived through the pandemic. A lot of them, um, in the high school world that Julia just described. And, um, now they're in college. What, what were the big issues that you followed, uh, in 2022? Yeah. Um, you know, I will say that funding is always a, a huge topic. Um, at the higher ed level in particular. And this year funding and enrollment really stood out to me. Um, particularly, you know, I'm, I'm trying to focus as much as I can on community colleges and uh, they've had some really steep enrollment losses in Oregon. Uh, and that has raised some big funding questions for them. You know, what do we do when federal money runs out? Um, are we gonna have to uh, make big cuts? And will enrollment come back if we have a recession down the line, right? So a lot of big unanswered questions. So I have tried to um, follow along with schools as they're grappling with those issues. Uh, I think that's something that's definitely going to carry over into next year. And a lot of those schools are looking at the state house for um, maybe some extra funding or some some uh, help keeping their feet under them. You know, another thing that was pretty big this year was uh, some future ready uh, Oregon investments. That was. Uh, $200 million for workforce development, um, really focused on underserved communities, Mm -hmm. um, communities of color, rural communities, women, students who are typically underrepresented in higher education. So I've written a little bit so far about what what some of that money is is doing. Um, Really, it's being spent all over the place in some really interesting ways. Um, A story that stands out to me was Portland Community College, um, you know, started a a quick turn class for English language learners who want to get welding certificates. So I went out and spent some time with with those students as they were welding and, and learning English at the same time. Uh, you know, that money's also being spent on things like um, expungement clinics uh, that can help students, you know, g- get past crimes off their records so they'll have a better chance uh, getting into school and then coming out of school finding a job. So that's also a, a really interesting pot of money. <laughs> Lots of money out there. Um, Lots of money. Uh, yeah. And Sammy, one thing that jumped out to me in your reporting recently in terms of um, enrollment is that the University of Oregon has passed PSU as the second largest uh, public university in, in the state. What's driving that? Because um, that's one that kind of surprised me. Yeah, the enrollment picture is really interesting. We're seeing really varied trends from school to school. Um, I, I would say that, that this year's 
numbers seem at least a bit more stable than they have been in the past. You know, we saw big drop-offs at community colleges during the pandemic. Um, our universities, our, our flagship universities, OSU and University of Oregon, didn't see as much of an impact there. But again, just really varied in each sector. While some of the community colleges have stabilized their enrollment, we've seen the state's largest one, Portland Community College, continue to see pretty big declines in students this fall. Um, at the on the university front, while University of Oregon and OSU are going gangbusters with enrollment, the small regional universities are not having that same phenomenon. And uh, one of the reasons that Portland State is down in students actually is because it really relies on transfer students, and it's getting right. fewer transfer students from community colleges. So it's a really mixed picture school to school. Okay, so yeah, kids aren't going to PCC, uh, then they're not going to PSU. And yeah, that's why, right. why that uh, might be um, bearing out in the numbers. Okay, well, let's look forward, not back. Um, Rose, 2023, what, what have you got in store? What are you looking at uh, in terms of the major issues on your beat? Well, I'm really interested in childcare. So during the pandemic, um, Multnomah County lost 20% of its childcare providers. But this has been an issue long before the pandemic. Most of Oregon is a childcare desert. And next year, I'm hoping to look more into how that affects families and what we are doing um, or what can we do about that. Uh, the first story that will probably run in my beat next year um, is about a research-based training for teachers on how to teach reading. For years, we have been teaching reading the wrong way. Uh, Emily Hanford at the American Public Media really spearheaded the coverage on this. Um, but we have been telling kids basically to uh, guess at words um, what they are based on pictures and syntax uh, rather than sound them out by each letter, um, which is what strong readers do. So teachers in school districts are uh, opting into this teacher training to essentially learn how to teach kids to read correctly, uh, which I found very interesting to learn about. Yeah, uh, as the parent of a kindergartner who is actively learning to read, let me tell you, learning about that podcast, uh, uh, Sold a Story, uh, really kind of blew my mind. So I'm glad you're looking into that. It's such a um, really important issue for kids and families. So look forward to seeing that coverage. Julia, you kind of already gave a little hints of of what you're looking into, but obviously the legislature is meeting um, down in Salem for a regular session and there's going to be a new governor. I would imagine there's stuff that you're interested in that fits into that very uh, hot political environment. Yeah. If Governor-elect Kotek has not named her new um, deputy superintendent uh, over the Oregon Department of Education by the time this podcast airs, and somebody, a listener out there knows who it will be, please <laughs> let me know. I have heard some names floating around out there, mostly big city, well, I mean, this is Oregon, so um, superintendents of larger school districts um, whose names are in the mix. But I, I do think it's going to be really interesting to see the direction of the state under um, Governor-elect Kotek. She signaled early on that she's interested 
interested in prioritizing third grade literacy. And I think um, anybody who's interested in that should read the upcoming story that Rose has coming, which is um, terrific about phonics training for teachers. And, uh, you know, the reason they pick third grade is because it's it's extremely predictive. If you can't read at grade level by the end of third grade, the outcomes are 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 really troubling for you. And, and unfortunately, this year's third graders are the kids who were in kindergarten when the pandemic started, right? Yeah. So um, they're, they're, they're behind. It's not great. <laughs> so, and, and I think the test scores that were released this year, while, um, you know, only one measure of how kids are doing, um, certainly do bear that out. So um, I think that literacy in the higher grades will be a focus for me. I just was out in Beaverton yesterday um, and did an interview with a mom and a son. And the I think this this story maybe will have run by the time this this podcast airs. But the um, son was you know in seventh grade and still reading at a second second grade reading level, and his school was just not. Um, able to help him. And what his, his mom wound up doing was, um, you know, purchasing a, a phonics tutoring system herself and, and executing it herself. And, and that's wonderful that she was able to help her family. And we probably need more, we do need more widespread systemic solutions to that because yeah. not every family has that, that, uh, means this is an equity issue really. So um, I look forward to continuing that coverage and, and reading Rose on the topic um, well into 2023. And literacy is something that might touch Sammy's beat, too, um, as we go forward. Excellent segue, Sam. Or, sorry, Sammy. I was just talking to Sam Swindler earlier. So, excuse you me. know, <laughs> I'll answer to anything. Uh, I think I've, I've found in journalism there are lots of Sams. So, Sammy, at least, you know helps differentiate between which of us you're hollering at. <laughs> there you go. Um, when, you know, when I think about next year, I think uh, watching the legislative session is really going to be important for me. Uh, we talked a little bit about the funding piece. Um, you know, community colleges in particular are looking for more funding this year from the legislature. Everybody always wants more money. Right. Um, the one really, really important piece, I think, to keep our eye on, um, both because students really find it important and the state higher education uh, coordinating commission is really focused on it, is um, increasing funding for student aid, particularly need-based aid. Uh, you know, college just keeps getting more expensive uh, and more out of reach. And Oregon uh, is not among the top um, states for for need-based financial aid. So, the, the heck is what that body is called has has proposed um, you know like a fourfold funding increase for um, state need-based financial aid heck is pretty pretty um, clear that it doesn't think that it's going to get all that money in one pass um, but you know legislators student advocates um, this state body are all hoping to get more money for financial aid next year which is always a big deal for students um, the other thing I'll be looking at in the state house is uh, this last year there was a task force of um, state senators and representatives who traveled the state visiting campuses and talking to underrepresented students about their needs. Um, in in early December, they put out a report, uh, it was really a rather sweeping report, touching pretty much every corner of higher ed on recommendations. Um, and you know, those are things from examining how the system is working for students with disabilities to 
increasing financial aid and hiring mm-hmm. chief diversity officers, like super, super um, sweeping report. Um, so I'll be looking to see if they make any progress on some of those goals this year. Uh, kind of want to go around the horn again one more time. Um, you know, this has obviously been such a challenging few years and um, there's so much concern about uh, behavioral issues and learning loss and staffing shortages and all that stuff. But is there anything on your various beats that give, you know, when we turn the page to a new year, try to think positively, is there anything that gives you hope? Uh, Rose, is there anything that you've come across that really gives you hope about um, where we're headed? It frankly gives me a lot of hope that we have this team. Um, Julia just started. Um, our fearless leader, Betsy Hammond, had this idea for an education hub at the Oregonian for a while now um, to have three reporters covering um, the full range of education. Um, and that's incredibly important to have that in um local media to um, hold our um, education institutions and uh, state government responsible um, and give kids what they deserve. Uh, When I tell people that I am an early childhood education reporter, um, often I get the response of surprise. Um, That's so specific. Uh, Why would you need that? Um, And Often people don't realize that um, a young child's brain uh, completes 90% of its growth by age five. So waiting till kindergarten at age five to start intervening on developmental delays, socializing kids, um, that's too late. Uh, A lot happens in the first few years of a kid's life. Um, So I think it's really exciting that this team is, is here and finally together and i'm really excited for what we'll do next year couldn't have said it better i mean that's awesome i don't julia i don't know if you have anything to add or something beyond that that gives you hope you're frozen i don't know if you're still there i will jump in here while we're waiting for julia you know i think it's really encouraging that uh on the higher ed beat state leaders are really looking at these questions of uh, equity and access and affordability um you know that really is the the talk among everyone. And so it's encouraging at least that folks are um, paying attention and trying to move the needle on this issue. Um, I will say on kind of a, on a smaller scale, um, one thing that I'm going to plug that, you know, if this podcast runs in, in early January, the story will be out. But um, I spent a bit of time reporting on a story that I think is very fun um, and is slated to run on New Year's Day. So hopefully you will have all seen it at this point. Um, writing about students at Mount Hood Community College, which has the only program in the state where students can study to be morticians. Um, Our (laughs) visuals team and I got to go visit the school. We got to watch an embalming and watch students learn with the the cadaver. Um, And I think that the story will surprise you about you know, these these students, many of whom are young women who really want to get into this industry to take care of other people as they walk through the process of death and grieving. That is fascinating. I really look forward to seeing and hearing that. My next door neighbor growing up was a mortician. Um, and one of my first pieces of quote unquote journalism, I think, I guess, like in, in middle school, I did a profile on him. And I remember uh, 
I didn't realize that maybe some people thought that was like an odd profession to have, but, um, it was, uh, he was, he was an important person in my life. So I, Look forward to reading your reading your piece. And Julia, we lost you there, but you're back now. You got any hope for us for, for 2023? You know, um, I'm a parent. Um, I have twin eighth graders. And I think that this school year has been, a, in many ways, an enormous joy. It's the first year since 2020 that feels normal. Um, and yes, I know there's the flu and RSV and lots of kids getting sick, um, at least at the time of recording, but, um, you know, there are, there's a harvest festival and my the kids are going to go to their first middle school dance and, um, there was outdoor school and there's a science fair and there's a you know, fun run with popsicles at the end. Although if you're my kid, it's more like a fun stroll. Um, sorry, Ben, if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, and I just feel such joy at those markers of normalcy being back for kids of all ages. Um, and I hope that our team gets to chronicle some of them. I think Sammy's embalming story and Rose's Yonkala preschool story are great markers of that. Sometimes as reporters, we're often looking for, and we should be looking, right, for like, hard hitting, here's a problem and here's what can happen to solve it. But I hope that in 2023, we are able to illuminate as well these moments of joy and normalcy. It's terrific, as I've we've said multiple times, to have this level of coverage. And um, I look forward to reading all your stuff in 2023. And thanks for taking time to talk. Thank you so Thank much. You. Sammy, you have something you want to add? I have one more quick thing. I just want to inform your um, your listeners of uh, keep an eye out this year, 2023, um, for uh, a new segment of our education coverage. Um, uh, I think we're we're calling it the the Youth Voices segment. Uh, we're going to be having high school students um, from around the metro area, but also um, some students from from farther south. I know we've got some writers in Salem who are going to write news stories for us and, and uh, personal essays and columns about uh, education and, and teen life. Um, and so we're really excited to bring you some of that student voice uh, in 2023 as well and are hoping to publish stories every other week. Thank you for the reminder. I know we talked about that before hitting record and then it evaporated from my brain. So uh, more things to look forward to. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. You can find all of our education coverage online at oregonlive.com education. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show and tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism and efforts like our education lab is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at oregonlive.com slash pod support. Until next time.